this is not a recruitment podcast. Welcome back to the Powered by People podcast. Um, today we are joined by uh, Bill Brewer, our Talent Strategy Director at the Red Carpets, but also uh, Marita, the VP of People at the recently promoted VP of People Thank at you. Uh, Payhall. Um, we're going to talk a little bit today about scaling from seed to Series B. Um, but uh, particularly talking about Marita's journey, joining Payhawk at 27, employee number 27. Yes. Um, and then growing over the next two years to about 260, 270 heads. So, um, yeah, why don't you introduce yourself, Marita? Hi, my name is Marita. I am the VP of People uh, at Payhawk. And yeah, I'm half Bulgarian, half Turkish, grew up in Greece, living in London. What's this? Sorry? No, it's actually, it is actually very weird. Um, I actually didn't change my title for a long time on my signature and everyone was like, come on, Marita, change it. I didn't even notice. This is, um, it's funny because we, this has been a really uh, sort of regular topic that we've spoken to, to many other people about on this podcast is how the talent community sites have a much wider role within business, mm. um, particularly moving into that, that people role. Um, I think, you know, historically you've had CHRO, mm-hmm. which has owned all of all topics, people related. And now uh, uh, you see less of CHRO and more CPO um, in younger businesses, or you see both. Yeah. Um, and CHRO is probably more on the, the sort of illegal people side, if you like. Um, and then, you know, people looking more in, in terms of uh, L&D, because... Realistically, talent acquisition is comprised of lots of different facets, doesn't it? You know, you've got uh, onboarding, you've got training and development, you've got employee engagement, because all of those things contribute to whether we need more people. Exactly. If you have a higher turnover, you need to acquire more people. If you have a lower turnover, you need to acquire less. Um, what's been the, the 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 sort of transition for you moving from sort of talent acquisition into people? Good question. So initially when we started, we were very much talent partners. And what talent partner meant for us at Payhawk was that you are basically doing the 360, meaning from sourcing all the way up until exit interviews. And we recently split the team around December, January time where we said, okay, we're going to have a talent acquisition team who will be dealing with sourcing until onboarding and then a people partnering team where they will be dealing from onboarding till exit. Um, that journey was very interesting and I can say it is very, very hard for you to find people that will be able to do the entire 360, but that's what's needed in the business at that time. Right now, we are at a stage where, you know, it's time for us to split the two where people can actually concentrate because you end up not being good at everything. You need concentration. You need to dedicate your time to certain important tasks. So yeah, it's, it's been a great journey. The team has taken it well. Uh, which means now the talent team is just dedicated on, you know, hiring, let's say, sourcing, hiring, et cetera. 
And then the people partnering team is taking everyone through the whole process of onboarding up until exit. And they have more time to do that. So how did that actually, yeah, how were they, when you said that this is going to be the changes, what you're going to do, did people get to decide which team they went into? Good question, yeah. So they, uh, I actually had a conversation with the team and I asked them, what are you looking for in the next steps? You will find that a lot of talent uh, acquisition, let's say specialists, do not want to get into people partnering. But there are some, you know, exceptions where people do want to get into that. Everyone says, oh, yeah, but people partnering is much easier. It is not. And I wouldn't say one or the other is easy, but um, it was a decision not just on on me, but also on on the people on the team. Um, One of the things that we're going to look at today is obviously... Uh, going from 27 to 260 in, in two years is, is quite an achievement. So, Thank you, thank you. Didn't do it alone. We had a team. Um, so what, what, what would you say some of the biggest challenges you experienced over that journey? For you, this was the second time managing a TA team. First time in a, in a seed a, a Series A business, sorry. Yeah. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of firsts, a lot of new new things that I'm sure cropped up. What, what would you say were some of the biggest challenges that you experienced? All right. So everyone remembers last year was that crazy time when everyone was looking for talent acquisition. Like there was no one person out there, right? More, there was more TA jobs mm-hmm. posted than the roles that they would be required to fill. Correct. Yeah. There, I remember this on LinkedIn. It was there. So I remember in December of 2021 um you know we closed our funding round okay we're gonna you know turn on all the gears right now we need to hire like crazy this is your hiring plan marita go with it uh you know so my team and i at the time we were just two people uh we're like okay what's the best option now okay let's get introductions our vcs were very kind introduced us to quite a lot of you know external recruiters so what we did is we spent the entire december december last uh it's been almost two years. I'm, I'm losing the date. Basically, the entire December, sitting down and partnering with all these external recruiters, you know, negotiating um, the percentages that we're going to do and building those relationships. And that is the only way you could do this, especially when there was no talent acquisition specialists or TAs out there. Quick question on that. Um, and I think this is something that a lot of people will potentially be interested in, in hearing is you starting you know that that whole process from like we've got scale and we've got to do it quickly acknowledging we're going to need external partners yeah how did you go about so this is different for everybody how did Mm -hmm. you go about identifying and deciding who were going to be the right partners for you so we first started with agencies and to be completely honest i was aware of the embedded solution but i wasn't really sure how it would usually work so i didn't even try it um, so what we did was immediately spoke to our VC partners, right? And given that they have a big portfolio of companies, so they by now know exactly every single country who is the best uh, recruit uh, recruitment firm there, and who are they very um, and what kind of like skills they would be looking for, etc. Like what kind of departments and so on. So that's the first thing I did. Then I got a list straight away, which is amazing. And then I started calling these people, and we created that partnership. Were there particular types of, you know, some of the questions that I've had in, in through my agency mm-hmm. where like, you know, what's, what's your uh, hired uh, time to fill ratio or time to fill how, you know, I asked you, well, what's your, <laughs> yeah, I mean, cost is obviously a big one, but. We didn't look at that last. 
going to fill this job? How are you going to sell our brand? Are there anything? Because it's really interesting, isn't it? And isn't it's a, a a question that we haven't really asked too often, but as an external partner, I think it's really important for agencies to understand what you know what their clients are going to be looking for on, on, from the outset, so that they can start building their businesses and structuring their businesses and their KPIs internally yeah. to mirror what their their, their potential clients are going, to, are going to be looking for. Matters. Exactly. Good you said partners, because for us, it was building that partnerships and basically having the same values. I know values is, you know, thrown out there as cliche, but it, it's basically aligning to what we're looking for to see if it's going to fit with them as well. And also making sure that they've done this before, right, for scaling companies. If it's the first time they're doing it, I would not have gone ahead because it's also my first time doing it, right? I want at least someone in in this equation to have done it before. And also without even me saying, oh, I need you need to, you to meet, let's say, the VP of sales, et cetera. They're like, no, I need to meet the VP of sales. I need to meet one of your, let's say, best BDRs, best AEs to make sure that we're aligned on what we're looking for. I was like, amazing. So that one conversation, you know, made me realize what else I can do with the rest. And I took that on board and yeah, created great partnerships actually. So a lot of, a lot of businesses, you know, and initially a, a, a lot of heads of TA, their first pull to call in businesses is get rid of agencies. Whereas understanding that you're not going to be able to build a TA team as quickly as the business is hiring me to hang uh, up. So needing to, to understand and look at agencies is, uh, and, and a way about how to actually go around that. Um, and the more you put into that relationship, the more you're going to get out of it. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's said you really align your values and you really do your due diligence and you really align them as a partner. It's going to be a, a fruitful relationship both ways. Yeah. Um, that's such a good point. Um, but if you don't, and like you said, I think the ones that struggle with a lot of agencies because they don't invest in, so I just send me some CVs, we're not going to speak to you on the phone. And no shit, they don't get that much out of it. We, we particularly like try to really hone in on isn't it is the collaboration mm-hmm. we can get we can get where we want to go as a team quicker than uh, than if we're just working as a client and and supplier mm-hmm. relationship and that's really good that you said like you said there they they didn't just want to speak to you they wanted to go and speak to members mm-hmm. of the team to really understand how they can help yeah it wasn't just a quick call at the start say yeah yeah we can do it so you obviously we, we briefly talked about embedded and obviously Gonna plug that a little bit, the red cup. But uh, we, um, you obviously didn't know too much about the embedded model. Started working with agencies. I know you have worked with embedded since, not the red cup. So worked, with, but um, but uh, we will. What, what sort of? How did that come about, and how did you move into into? To be completely honest, it came out of um, a moment of desperation. Why? Because I was at a stage where it was just two of us my colleague and I, and we had hired around 60 people in literally one quarter. And at that point, towards the end of the queue, I was like, okay, we are killing it right now. We need to like stop and take a step back. And yeah, it's it's just not, not sustainable. So I was just thinking, okay, what do we do? What do we do? And of course, I'm always thinking about costs in the back of my mind, right? Um, and I was like, okay, I think we, it's time for us to look for an embedded solution because we've tried our best to get, you know, a talent acquisition. I was, I was remember, uh, you know, sending messages on LinkedIn to people, you know, would you want to join Payhawk, et cetera? They're like, sorry, I'm very happy where I am. I was like, what? Like I was getting constantly like, no, no, no. And I was like, you know what? The only way for, you know, my colleague and I to survive is actually get an embedded solution. And that's what we did. 
end of Q1 last year. And then in Q2, we just hit the ground running and we became an even bigger machine. Uh, but again, just to say there were hiccups with everything that we did. It wasn't all rainbows and butterflies, you know, to the point where we had to actually build a ways of working for with recruiters as well of like what is expected. With agencies, yeah, because it, it it came to a point, yes, where they were getting annoyed. They were just sending us CVs. They're like, we don't want to do the work like this. And I'm like, trust me, I don't want that for you either. Because if it's just CVs, we're, we're just wasting money, right? So then we build a nice ways of working. Uh, we, we use an ATS tool, which was great. So they had visibility of what's going on and greenhouse. It's really cool. It's, um, it's not the cheapest, right? But if we you know. have a budget to go and put money into greenhouse, then like anything we can spend on a tool, do we? But yeah, it's a really good one. Yeah, nice. And it has um, has the ability to have agencies involved. Correct. Yes. And they have visibility. It's not perfect. I want to, you know, like say this, but it's very good. At least the agency sees where the, the person is at, at which stage. Good for reporting as well. It's probably the Correct. best one I've seen for analytics. analytics. I actually get data. I'm a big data guy. And our funnels to then make decisions in the future to say this is going to take this long to get hired because i've got all the data that's telling me that from last time which is amazing you got to geek out on that yeah absolutely. <laughs> look at these numbers it was like shut up <laughs> what other challenges do you think you've uh you experienced in those earliest earliest stages so we've got to the point where we you know we've, we've got good relationships with with agencies got an embedded partner in not right yeah um we've got um you know, we, we've established nice ways of working. What other challenges came up uh, around those times? Uh, I like to call this, you know, designing and operating. The next challenge was the time that the hiring managers had to do interviews. So the machine was already working, right? Like we are killing it, you know, screening, screening, screening. But then you are expecting the manager to be an individual contributor while managing a team and at the same time be recruiting, right? So. For us as a talent partner team at the time to, you know, explain to managers of why this is important and how this is going to be, you know, like a contributor to the North Star of the business, you know, call it ARR, MRR, whatever it is for, for your business. That was probably the most difficult challenge in making sure that they have time in their diaries to do that. Calendly, another tool, helped me a lot with this. Calendly saved you in that sense. Big time. Honestly. Because like hiring managers, especially when you're scaling a lot, there's no end in sight for when they're going to stop doing interviews. No. Teams just keep growing. So every week, you know, they're there to do a job and they're also, they can't do the job of hiring these people. Yeah, yeah. It's like the... Hours hiring, interviewing and stuff. So would you just sign all of your hiring managers up to Calendly? You would have all their links there. So if you had a candidate that was ready to go to the next stage, you would just use that link, book it in. Boom. Add the candidate and you're good to go. Yeah. Perfect such an easy tool it was great and another thing we also did i know some of our managers don't like this but to create a bit more accountability and this is not common practice right i started asking the hiring managers to review cvs and i thought like with this way it's going to make them even more accountable because the people that you're putting through to the people team to do screening and means that these are people that you really want in the business yeah. Of course, there were some delays with time. We're not the Googles of the world where we get a thousand CVs a week, right? Yeah. The, the number was quite well, but that created a lot of accountability and it was great. You know, agencies versus then working with the TA team is the TA team being the service provider for the hiring manager. Uh -huh. And if the TA team is seen as a partner with the hiring manager and they're as invested into it 
in their hiring as the TA team is, you'll get a better outcome. Oh, wait. You're then seen as a service provider just in the, the team in, in a different office that then just sends CVs. You're not... No. They're going to get frustrated. You're going to get frustrated. It's never going to work. Completely. I think, okay. look, you know what? It's, it's probably one of the most frequent challenges that we see in, in, in the TA industry is, is actually getting the hiring manager buy-in. Yeah. You know, like, and it's so strange because we do, we're a support, we're a service, we're a service within their organization. Yeah. And we're, we're there, we exist to support them. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes it feels like we're a bit of a burden because <laughs> we're just asking for their time, we're asking for their... Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's an educational piece. It is. It we, is. We've seen a lot of, you know, a lot of our partners and a lot of our projects where we have to educate the hiring managers on actually what a recruiter does. Yeah. Um, because sometimes it's not necessarily known what the process is to hiring good people. Um, and the time, skills, experience that goes into that. Mm-hmm. So it's about leveling that, that, that respect. You know, and then building those layers of respect. It's an interesting point, actually. I wonder how much it comes up on interviewing. Because I would understand that these people that are now hiring managers, you probably hired in the first place, mm-hmm. given how much you hired. So in their interview process, where they asked about how they interact with hiring teams, how they like to work with talent teams and things like that. Because if they're not, then or if they, let's say if they were asked and they had, you saw some of those red flags, then you're like, we don't better grow with that person. Mm, that's a very good question. And I'm going to steal it because I haven't done this. <laughs> and this is great. Um, luckily, I'm, I mean, I don't want to say luckily, but we have kind of like looked at the approach of, you know, promoting within a lot. So around 50% of people are promoted. 50% of people are coming from the outside, especially when it comes to the manager side of things. So that's, I would say, definitely helped us. But I like to use this analogy about, you know, like a startup is like the body, right? And the people talent team is the heart. If we're not pumping blood, then good luck to the rest of them, you know? So (laughs) exactly. It's really important, you know, for people to understand that, you know, we want to bring the best, right? We want to make sure that we partner well with hiring managers as well. Otherwise, it's just going to be... Uh, you know, that's kind of blame game that nobody wants to do. And I believe we've done a good job. There's always room for improvement, but so far I would say we've done a good job. When I was at the, um, we did the Berlin Tech Crick last year and there was a guy on stage called Joe, he's the lead recruiter at Epic Games. And he did a big speech around stakeholder management and getting mm-hmm. the stakeholder buy. And I remember him talking about it saying, you know, I, I'd send a message out to the hiring manager saying like, I've got your requirement here, it'd be great to do a kickoff to understand to, uh, what we're going to be looking for here and partner up on this. And the hiring manager was like, um, I haven't really got time. Can you just start getting like candidates uh, in LinkedIn um, based on the job spec and just email me some questions? Hiring managers, they can be really difficult. Um, and often, like we said, you know, feeling like sometimes you have to justify why you're asking these questions, even though you're doing it to support them and their team. Um, but there you go. It's the importance of quality as well, right? Because it's a two-way relationship. So I also can understand it from a hiring manager's point of view. If they keep putting a lot into uh-huh. the relationship, but then keep getting rubbish CVs through or mistakes keep happening. Yeah. Um, you can understand why some of them are being burnt or is a bit distanced with hiring team. I see I've been in a few projects um, where we're like, you know, we're going in to try and um, improve the, the, I love the, the term partner, uh, business partner, talent partner, people partner, because I think that's often what we have to be. Yep. Um, and uh, we're we going into sort of improve the business partner relationships and uh, 
hiring managers just want to work with agencies because they they've got their developed relationships externally with these agencies and agencies um you know typically prefer to work with hiring managers um and so there's usually like a, a speed of delivery kind of thing going on but it's so expensive so then you have to try and you know really rebuild from scratch those relationships because yeah. they don't trust the, the talent partners or the business partners in the business or in the organization already you you just got to prove yourself again right which is probably the stage we're at right now um now the the team is obvi- obviously again like you said hiring managers are used to working with an agency right so you always have someone you come in oh i've worked with that agency let's just use them so now what we have is okay give the team a month let's say you know we usually do two week sprints so like literally in those two weeks like we go crazy about this role like we bring in amazing cvs of course we check in with the hiring manager if this is exactly the type of person they're looking for and then if we cannot be successful then we start looking externally again yeah. this is our new way of doing things and of course we stole this from engineering sprints yeah. etc yeah. uh we always steal everything from them they're amazing well, i think i think uh, yeah you know what Huddles is another one that's like, it's loads of Indians, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do you work on, we often, when we're putting new initiatives in place, you build it in a, in a sort of an agile way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you monitor it in, in spring so that, you know, Bill, you're a big fan, aren't you, of never doing something every week forever. Yeah. Having the yeah. set periods of so time in which you're doing it for. Yeah. So if we roll out, for example, um, meetings with hiring managers instead of saying we're going to meet every monday for the next four or five weeks uh well we're going to meet every monday mm-hmm. we would say we're meeting every monday for the next four weeks and then at the end of that four weeks let's see if we still need to do it every monday or we go twice a week but instead i feel like if you have a recurring meeting you never set a deadline to it no nice. it will stop buying into it they might not turn up one week they think it's happening where if you say we're doing one to week meeting for four weeks eight weeks it tends to work i'm stealing this one too because we do have recurring ones and yeah, I'm a little bit monotonous, don't they? A bit, they drag and you, you, you turn up with the same information every week. Whereas if you're putting it into sprints, as you see, yeah. we're going to do this for this period and this is the desired outcome at the end of that. And you're working towards something rather than just updating. Everyone's committed to it a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I often find that lots of areas of business end up taking parts of engineering, uh, like ways of working or methodologies because... Typically, engineers have developed them ways of working because they're productive. Yes, which is great. Yeah, which is great. I I use a lot of whiteboards as well with the team. Like I'm a huge fan now. So the first thing that we did was, you know, okay, my colleague and I was just us two at the time. I'm like, we're gonna get more people in. Let's put all that knowledge in a whiteboard. So when the people come, they can see everything that we've done so far. And I swear, we, we probably spent like three days building this whiteboard. And now it's like, you know, like the, the source of truth for, for everyone that comes into, you know, our our team and is like reading it and understands what's going on. Yeah. I actually like physical whiteboards. No one else uses them but me. Um, I just love whiteboards. I think, I think they're just, you're great, because they're a tool for creativity. Yes. Put it down on paper or yeah, on a whiteboard. Went towards. Yeah. Like if it was a tangent, if you're in a meeting, people just get distracted otherwise. If you're pointing at something constantly. Yeah, but then being a remote first company, it's quite difficult because oh. I, I want everything on a whiteboard, but then I can't really show anyone it. Yeah. So I just, it ends up being a brainstorming yeah. thing. I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to move on to another question, but... You I'll, do what you want, I'll, bro. 
Because <laughs> you've not only grown the business, but now you've grown a TA team <laughs> as well. So how's that been? This is your first, I mean, have you ever hired this many TA? No, I'll be honest. It's been very interesting. And the first thing my colleague and I, who, you know, we started together, we decided that we're going to look for basically, you know, a team that has the skills that we don't have. I know, again, cliche, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I think we've done an amazing job because we are at a stage where we are, you know, going to the next level. I don't have that experience, neither does she. So we brought in at least two people now that have that experience. So one is from, you know, the big guys like Stripe and Twilio. So they have seen that crazy. I don't have it. I need this. So then they can start making me think like, okay, Marita, you need to think of this because this is how it's going, going to affect this. So it's more of a partnership, right? It's, what's it called? Unconscious incompetence. Ooh, love it. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You know, like, and it, there's no, that's not... That is just uh, down to experience, um, you know, things that you will learn along the way. But if you don't know, having an ego that's it, that's in check, I think is one of the most powerful tools we can have. Agree. Because, I mean, we're talking from my own experience, I've we started the Rec Hub and there was a couple of us and then we grew to five or six and then 10, 15 and then, Already, I had no idea what I was doing. Not... I'd run recruitment teams of like 20 or so. Oh, wow. Running a business is a whole different ball game. So then when you get to 50, 60, you're absolutely out of my depth. Um, but you're constantly surrounding yourself with people that aren't um, exactly. keeping each other afloat. And I think that it's so, so powerful um, to know where your gaps are. Exactly. Um, and, and then you be, have the ego to say, I'm going to hire someone that, that maybe can be better than me. I don't mind at all. Yeah, I tell I tell my team, you guys are recruitment machines. Like something yeah. something I don't have, right? I'm good at like organizing and putting, managing, like project managing, yeah. the whole the whole thing. Um, but yeah, it's been fun so far. And he said, you know what? In order for you to, to, to be able to do that, yeah, because, you know, often why people don't hire why a a players don't hire a play or a players or a star yeah. is usually because of fear that they will be replaced you know whereas if you have somebody that makes you feel secure and come you know secure enough in your role and confident enough to be able to go out and hire who you want then it allows you to to, to sort of really have the autonomy to hire amazing people without the the, the fear that some uh, leaders make make it like a word of threats. Even if it happens, right? You gotta be humble because if you don't know what's at the next stage, you you can sometimes step back. It, uh, I always tell everyone this that at every stage of you know a startup, like whether it's seed stage, Series A, Series B, etc., some people will be good for it certain stages, but it doesn't mean they will be able to grow as fast as the business is growing. And it's happened. We have seen it in you know in our business. It just happens and you just have to move on. And there's like embracing that. Yeah. Embracing, not, not fear so much, but embracing change. And the second you can embrace change, you're not living in fear of mm -hmm. your role getting replaced or someone um, overstepping you. As long as you know, I'm good at what I do now and that may change in the future. I'm just going to, you know, I can only culture up myself. Right? We all add value. Yeah. We all valued. And as if, if, you're, if you're in a position where you can no longer add the right or adequate value. Got a step back. You gotta take. You gotta being self-aware enough to go. I've got us to where we are now. Yeah. And I'm not the right person to get us where we need to go. 
And so taking a step back is is like a super brave thing. Yeah. So that's really, yeah. I, I think it would be quite rare to find many people that are, are like that quick to think in that, in that way, I think. Yeah, I mean, there, it's always important to have a bit of ego, right? It gets you places, but um, just you got to know when to become a bit more humble. Um, I mean, just just the thought of us ever being 7,000 people just scares me. I'm not going to lie. So probably that's a time where I'll be like, okay. But you, the only way for you to know when to take a step back is actually to go through the process, right? And see. And then at some point you will see where your sweet spot is, like... When I talk to my mentors, each one of them has a sweet spot now because they've done it a couple of times. They're like, mine is between 200 and 500. The other one is like zero to 120. So you got to find your sweet spot. Oh, I still have time to grow, but I really love the growth stage, the, fra- the crazy growth. I am, I've done it a couple of times now and, and it's just exciting. Yeah, the one where you're just con- trying to, I was going to say controlling the chaos, but trying to control the chaos. Um, any other challenges, uh, Marita, that you've, you've experienced and that you can recall? Maybe, you know, if we're looking at other people, if you somebody else was to be sitting in your role two years ago, mm-hmm. 27th employee, about to go on that wild roller coaster, um, what, what, if we can give them any other insight into what it might be, what it might look like? Oh, wow. That's a good question. So I would um, probably think of surrounding myself. I mean, I did that, which I would say I was lucky to have like amazing like mentors around me that helped me through this process. Because let's be honest, like the expectation is not that the founder and the founders know what I should be doing. So I would suggest for that person to have like mentors who have done this before and ask them all the questions possible in order not to fail. I didn't even know I needed to do a capacity plan for my team. You know, like uh, when was it Q1 of last year? I was speaking to one of my mentors. She's like, so where's your capacity plan? Let me let me see what you're doing. You know, I'm like, what, 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 what's this? You know, and then I was like, okay, Marita, you know, put this together. Look at, you know, the metrics again. Uh, look how fast you were hiring before. So do the math to project what you can do and achieve for the business. So all these like little things that I didn't know, um, I suggest you find someone that can has done this before and that can help you on this journey. What's your best tips of going out and finding a good mentor? Yeah. And you know, because I've actually had this conversation with people before where I said, like, you know, you know, you need to get yourself a good mentor. You wouldn't have never start. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. what the fuck? Uh, LinkedIn, great source, right? Yeah. Uh, look at the companies you literally admire. Um, look at the people who work there and just message them. People are actually very open to help out. Yeah. You know, you'll be surprised. Literally, I just message the same way. Do you want to go for coffee? Yeah. And they're like, sure, let's go for coffee. People are super open-minded and why not? And I still have this relationship with them for the past like two, three years now, which has been amazing. Um, yeah. It's it's super helpful. I think it's first of all just reach out. Like yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fear when people you know if you're if you're you're ideally looking for a mentor that's a few steps ahead of you in that in your career, yeah, um, to help you navigate the next few steps for yourself. And so, I think there's a fear attached or associated to reaching out to somebody mm-hmm. that's perceived that you perceive to be, yeah. you know. It's a compliment. I wouldn't look at it like that, right? Yeah. Um, and even if they're a competitor, it's, you know, people, 
um, people are, like to say they, they want to help other people and it's it's quite flattering right you know yeah. to, to sort of be asked to help someone yeah um, so yeah I think I think just just reach out just know yeah. no hold it off and it's real like maturity and proactivity to go and get that mentoring right because especially um, you see a lot of people these days saying you know how are you going to develop me then when they join a business and it's like well that's hundred percent agreed. There was no one above you in town acquisition, so who was going to be able to help you? Well, no, the founders can help me as much as they can, you know, make introductions, but the rest it's on me, and you you learn on the job. That's why I find it super interesting. Like everyone is like from day one, I want learning and development. Wait a second, you know, let's reach a certain stage of the business, you know, and then we can implement this. Don't get me wrong, I'm all about learning and development. But joining a startup is its own learning and development journey on its own. If you think about it, this might be controversial for a lot of people, but especially at the beginning of that journey, like you are learning so much, so much. Well, the, the, now, um, the the expectation for development is so much more in terms of uh, at the, the progression of the speed of progression. So, like, what I mean by that is. People want to be promoted and progressed every two months, six months, 12 months. Whereas years ago, you know, back when people were at one company for 40 years, mm -hmm. you could be doing the same job for three, four, five years, becoming a real expert and, you know, really honing your craft before getting a promotion or before um, moving on to something else. Whereas now it's like, it's, it's, it's like we live in a bit more of a world of instant, Everything is yeah, it's the bigger and I don't know yeah, hundred percent. It's like the bigger and better out there. Like you're constantly looking for that, and I probably will blame social media on this because you're you're always like scrolling next next. So those dopamine levels, like the excitement that's constantly there, it's probably like you you you're constantly looking for that craziness. You know, it's the next hit exactly. It's paced world now, like that. When we talk about the years gone by of where people staying in those companies, that just world just doesn't exist as much. Mm -hmm. yeah. right. We 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 all work and live in a tech world um, in this room, right? So mm -hmm. you know you've hired you know companies weren't hiring two three hundred people in two years that mm -hmm. long ago, right? So I think it's just people's way of working has changed. They want to progress fast. Their companies hiring fast. They'll change jobs fast. I find that you, to to appease though, sometimes companies just end up. There you go, promoted to a same role but senior, and nothing's changed. The gym no. role hasn't changed. Nothing else has changed. It's just well, maybe that would change now. I mean, right, your your thoughts on this, but I think with this big change in environment, a lot of, especially a lot of people in tech, and whether that be in any roles we've worked in tech, so marketing or internal recruitment, whatever it might be, I think people now, um, uh, my opinion is that people might be more interested in stability. Yeah, they are. That's good. That ACS and safety uh, and quality of environment as opposed to, you know, speed of environment. They are. I hear this a lot in interviews right now and people are looking for stability, but I'm always honest with them, right? Like this is a startup. <laughs> this is a scale up. Like I want to tell you, yes, this is stable, etc. But, you know. Anything can happen. The reality is that, that now stability is so hard to find because people would have gone Meta, Microsoft, Google, Amazon for stability. Like all of these large organizations where you would have gone for stability. stability. And then, you know, between them, probably let go of 100,000 people in the last three months. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough thing to find out. Yeah. It really is. The golden handcuffs. 
They don't work anymore. <laughs> no. No. I, oh. I mean, it's also. I, I'm not saying it's a good thing, right? But it's also maybe things are just changing because people need to find out what they want to dedicate and what where they want to find stability yeah. is work just the place where you should be looking stability for it's too many questions i mean i yeah yeah but i think in general like what we've gone through <laughs> i am thinking but think about what the ta and people side of things have gone through in the past like three four years right we had covid we had this we had that it's like it's just way too many ups and downs in such a short period of time and i don't think it I mean, I don't know the answer, but I don't think that's ever happened in history so fast. It's crazy. The cyclical nature of the economy. It's 10 years. But this is shorter. Yeah. I used to say that every seven to 10 years, there was like an event. I feel like it's now less. Two years. <laughs> it's like... Every three months. <laughs> look back in history, like they'll be like, oh, those COVID times must have been crazy. I mean, what, it must have been awesome after when it went back to normal. It's like... No, no. And <laughs> another slap, you know? Yeah, for a lot longer. Oh, just shoot me. Inflation hitting. Oh, just before that, we have Brexit and that, yeah, that. Cost of living crisis. Name it. It's a few years, actually. And we're still here. <laughs> yeah. Surviving and thriving. This is going to be our version of we're in the war. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> we were like one walk a day at one. What? Do you remember? You don't remember? You clearly were like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I remember that one. Um, can you take the dog out? Because I want to go for a run. So I can't run and do the dog because that's two times. You guys are too good. Wow. Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> I drug it out walking the dog. <laughs> But yeah, that was crazy. So yeah, that's going to be our during the war. Yeah. I don't realize how lucky you've got it. That's wild. Well, hopefully like we don't, we don't have the depression that goes with that. <laughs> yeah. Because they're quite depressive stories during the war. We've got, mm. we've got some good stuff. Yeah, we do. It's, it's, it should be picking up, right? I think um, there's one person I'm following on, on LinkedIn where it's constantly talking about you know, VCs investing in seed stage and Series A startups. So it is moving. Basically, it's just, I, I think it's growing little by little. I mean, you yeah. Say it, right. So VCs don't sit on their hands for long. No. Like, okay. they go, they, yeah. If they're not investing, well, they do. Yeah. So they're like, we'll, we'll have a break for six months. But when they get back. They have the money. Let's be honest. Come on. Yeah. And well, um, they will use a lot of it to drive drive down, you know, deals as well. Probably, please. Yeah. This is the best time for them, you know? Um, right, so we're coming towards the end of our, oh, of our delightful conversation. We can go on forever. No, you could we? Um, so uh, in closing tradition, not stolen by uh, from Stephen Bartlett, mm -hmm. like that as well, um, but uh, we ask each guest to write a question for our next guest. Uh -huh. This question was written by Matthias Schweisser hmm. um, from Eminence Weiss. Thanks for your question, Matthias. Um, so, Marita, what is the one thing that you would have liked to uh, that you had would have liked to know earlier in your career to have been successful that nobody had all previous that nobody gave you the information or the knowledge to you just sort of discovered for yourself? 
Good question. That's a tough one, but the first thing that comes to mind is managing up. I think this is something that no one tells you how to do and you're just winging it on a daily basis. Um, like you're often given training and there's lots of L&D around managing people. But managing up is a different story. Yeah, and it's not the same thing, right? You need to be, you know, thinking about, okay, just an example, right? Like what are the VCs telling the founders and why are the founders telling me? Of course, there's a lot of context in our business. Luckily, we have it. But sometimes there's things that I don't know, let's say. So I need to be able to make those right decisions or make the right um, argument for some things. Exactly. For what ex in correct and using the right terminology in their language. So this is something that um, I would have loved to know more about. Yeah. And so therefore, this is what the founder cares about. So when I'm pitching for this amazing embedded solution by the Red Cup, I heard to position my argument in such a way that he buys it. Exactly. Magic. There you go. That's the right information to sell it to the VC. If the, Often, like, yeah. need this to hire right, the right people, yeah. that might not be a, a, something that the, the, the CEO or the founder is thinking about. Correct. They're thinking about getting to the next level of funding. And actually, by using this solution, I'm going to get you into this level of funding quicker. Exactly, exactly. There's a person in the, in the Red Cup that I'm working very close with, a mentor that's becoming more of a leader in the business. And so I'll include that person in meetings now at leadership level. And I'll see them get asked questions and answer it. And I'm like, and I'll walk away after and say, right, what you just said, make sure you don't say that. There you go. Um, if you don't know the answer, say I don't know the answer and I'll get the answer for you. But don't try and boffle because they just found out that you just waffled. Yeah. yeah. And nobody likes that. Nobody likes that. One like immediately there, right? But like you said, you don't have that at the start of your career. It's very hard to manage upwards. It's really interesting. I think actually by even just sitting down with the person that you're reporting to and over a coffee or, or a beer or whatever and, and saying, what is it you care about? What, what is it? What do you do in your day to day and that? And how, you know, what are the things that keep you awake at night? Yeah. I'm really getting to understand that person because often we don't, I don't think we do that. Yeah. How can I make your life easier? Yeah. That's how you should enter every one on one. That's what I always ask the CEO. I'm like, how are you today? Because people forget. They just go straight into like, okay, this is what we need to discuss. No, you're a human at the end of the day. Like, check in on the person that you're working with, reporting into, or like even the people that are reporting into you. It's so simple. How are you? So simple. What's the thing they say when with a how are you? And then when when you get lucky, yeah, I'm okay. No, but how are you? Yeah, yeah. Always ask again. We're we're actually in, it's ingrained in us to just fire off an automated. I'm not, I'm good. Yeah. But then actually they may not be good. Yeah. Exactly. That's a cultural thing as well. I think British people are terrible at that. Like when you say, how are you? And then, oh, good. Was, yeah, I'm good. And then just, how old could it be? It's just sort of, hey, already, I already feel awkward. Like, how are you? It's te I'm terrible. My, you know, my nan just died. And I'm never lying. I'm, you know, yeah. can't pay the mortgage. Cool. Um, see you around. <laughs> uh, that's so mean. <laughs> so mean. Yeah. Yeah. What I've picked up from the British is like, not too bad, not too bad. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, when I look back, I'm like, this has such a negative connotation. What do you mean not too bad? I need to yeah, stop I'm saying bad. this. I'm bad. Well, 
Yeah. And it's, okay. And that's, it's just the equivalent of good. Yeah. I'm good. Is it all too bad? It's like, it's on a verge though. Is it, is it bad? Is it not bad? It's not too bad. Yeah. But that's, I mean, <laughs> when you say that when you're good, how are you? Yeah. Not too bad. But actually I'm good. Yeah, exactly. I just talk with a negative connotation. Yeah. I find it hilarious because obviously we do a lot with different um, international cultures all the time. And there's an Instagram account called, uh, or a Twitter account called like Very British, um, Very British Problems. And it just basically comes up with like British phrases all the time or ways we do things. Maurice Johns. <laughs> I'm actually following it. It's on Twitter. I have. Yeah. When you explain things to people, so like, and they don't realize, if I send an email to a, a German person and put at the end, best and then my name and I, i'm probably pissed off so i didn't put best regards or kind regards i've just put regards that means i'm annoyed because i put regards but they don't realize no it's like <laughs> he's regarding me here bless him there you go yeah there's lots of them without even hire if you just put their first so harry or see below they would have not even Harry, it's like, please see below. Esper, my last email. That's my favorite one. <laughs> cool. So thanks, Marita, for joining us. It's been an absolutely amazing conversation today. Thank you and for having me. Bill, for joining. Um, sure to have you back. Thanks for everyone for listening. Um, we'll see you again soon. Thanks. Thank you. Ciao. ciao.